This is AFF On Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast, bringing you the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. G'day and welcome to episode 21 of AFF On Air. It's Saturday the 5th of October 2019 and I'm your host Matt Graham. Coming up in today's episode, Qantas and Virgin Australia fight over two new landing slots for Tokyo's Haneda Airport. Why are so many of Europe's airlines going out of business? And Bronwyn Turner, one of the award travel consultants at Frequent Flyer Solutions, joins me to explain how to find award flight availability to Europe during the peak summer season. That's coming up later in the episode, but first, here's what else is making news on Australian Frequent Flyer this fortnight. And Latam Airlines has announced it will exit the One World Alliance in due course, leaving One World without a single member airline based in South America. LATAM will not join any of the other alliances, instead choosing to enter an extensive bilateral relationship with Delta Airlines in the US, which has also purchased a 20% stake in LATAM. Qantas will continue to co-chair with LATAM Airlines on flights between Australia and Chile and onwards to selected destinations in South America. But LATAM's exit from One World could make life a lot harder for Qantas passengers flying onwards to many South American destinations that Qantas does not co-chair on. Woolworths has increased the amount of Qantas frequent flyer points you'll receive when converting Woolworths rewards points. Since the 1st of October, you'll now receive 1,000 Qantas points for every 2,000 Woolworths rewards points transferred, up from the previous 870 Qantas points. In addition, the transfers now happen overnight. You'll no longer have to wait up to three months to receive your Qantas points. Qantas's first refurbished Airbus A380 has returned to service after being refitted in Dresden. The aircraft, VHOQK, has refreshed first-class and economy seats, as well as brand new business-class suites and premium economy seats, which are similar to those found on the Qantas Dreamliners. There are 30 fewer economy seats in the new configuration, with the loss of economy from the back of the upper deck. But the number of premium economy seats has almost doubled from 35 to 60. And Qantas has also upgraded the lounge area for business and first class passengers at the front of the upper deck. The entire Qantas Airbus A380 fleet will be progressively upgraded over the next year and a half or so. Velocity Frequent Flyer will increase the carrier charges payable when redeeming Velocity Frequent Flyer points for Virgin Australia flights. Effective for bookings made from the 8th of January 2020, the carrier charges on all routes except for flights to Los Angeles will increase, and in some cases the charges are almost tripling. Carrier charges are an airline-imposed fee that you have to pay when redeeming points for a reward seat, in addition to the frequent flyer points and genuine taxes payable, and they're the bane of frequent flyers. The carrier charge on Virgin domestic flights will increase from $3.50 for an economy seat or $5.50 for business class to a flat $10 each way, while the surcharges for international flights are also increasing and are now up to $230 one way for a business class reward seat to Los Angeles. Meanwhile, Virgin Australia has axed the Samsung in-flight entertainment tablets from business class on its Boeing 737s, and the Boeing 737s don't have those seatback entertainment screens. So business class passengers on the 737s will now have to use their own devices to view entertainment via the app. 
And in more bad news for Virgin Australia Business Class customers, the airline will no longer offer business passengers complimentary snacks and drinks from the economy class buy on board menu. Business class passengers will still receive a meal as well as complimentary drinks and a range of light snacks from the pantry menu. But if you want something else from the economy menu, such as the popular ink gin or an espresso martini, you'll be asked now to hand over a credit card, even if you've already paid hundreds of dollars for a business class ticket. Virgin claims that this change is necessary to rein in costs, but to me it does seem very short-sighted and frankly petty considering the cost of a business class ticket, and I'm not aware of any other airline that would charge business class passengers for snacks and drinks. Jetstar will cease all regional flying within New Zealand at the end of November. Jetstar will continue operating flights to Nelson, New Plymouth, Napier and Palmerston North in New Zealand until the end of November, but after that it will cease flights. And it's sad news for those regional New Zealand centres, as Jetstar had brought in some much-needed competition. Air New Zealand's fares on regional routes have come way down since Jetstar ended its monopoly in 2015 with the launch of five turboprop aircraft, which were flying around New Zealand. Unfortunately, Jetstar never made any money in flying those routes, though. Jetstar is also leaving the Chinese market, terminating its only route between Australia and China, which is from Melbourne to Zhengzhou, in December. But Jetstar has announced that it will launch a new route, and from the 25th of March 2020, it will fly three times a week from Melbourne to Busselton in Western Australia's Margaret River region. Almost a year on since Air New Zealand's divorce with Virgin Australia, it seems that Air New Zealand has come out well ahead. Air New Zealand's load factors on trans-Tasman services have remained relatively steady over the past year despite quite a bit of increase in capacity, while the average percentage of seats filled on Virgin Australia flights between Australia and New Zealand has plummeted. Meanwhile, it seems Qantas is collecting the highest average airfare on the Sydney to Auckland route. The average Qantas ticket sells for around $304, which includes both economy and business class. Well, Air New Zealand receives an average of $264 per ticket, and Virgin on the Sydney to Auckland route is collecting an average ticket price of only $216. Finally, Beijing's huge new international airport has now opened. Beijing Duxing Airport, located around 50 kilometres to the south of the Chinese capital, is currently handling just a limited number of domestic flights as it's just opened, but more flights will be progressively added over time, with international airlines including British Airways, Malaysia Airlines and Finnair adding flights there in the near future. The new airport, which has the IATA code PKX, has the largest international airport terminal building in the world, and it's nicknamed the Starfish due to its distinctive shape. The new airport is designed to eventually handle 100 million passengers per year, which is just slightly less than what Beijing's existing Capital International Airport, or PEK, handled last year. If you're flying to Beijing soon, you might want to double-check which airport you're flying out of, as the city's two airports are a very, very long way from each other. That's what's making news this fortnight. For more regular news, updates and deals, be sure to subscribe to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette or follow Australian Frequent Flyer on Facebook. A few weeks ago, the CEOs of Qantas and Virgin Australia came together to speak out against what they perceived as Australian airports abusing their monopoly powers by overcharging airlines and passengers. But Australia's two major airlines don't usually get along. 
And right now, they're in the middle of a quite intense fight over two rare and lucrative landing slots that have just become available at Tokyo's Haneda International Airport. Tokyo, the capital of Japan, has two international airports, Haneda and Narita. Haneda is much closer to the city centre and it also has better transport connections, so it's generally preferred by business travellers. But unlike Narita, Haneda is heavily slot restricted. It's very difficult for airlines to secure the right to fly in and out of the airport, which um, that's what slots are all about, uh, at Haneda Airport. Qantas was lucky to secure the right to fly once a day from Sydney to Haneda around five years ago. However, at the time, the only uh, slot pairs made available were night slot pairs, which means that Qantas now must land at Haneda before 6am and depart after 10pm in the evening. And as a result, a Qantas 747 currently sits on the ground at Haneda Airport from 5.15am until 10pm every single day. And you know what what happens when an airplane is sitting on the ground. It's not making money, of course. But Haneda Airport was recently expanded, resulting in two new landing slots becoming available for use by Australian airlines at Haneda. Um, And there are also two slot pairs which were released for Japanese airlines to use for services to Australia. One of these has been awarded to ANA, or All Nippon Nippon Airways, and the other one to Japan Airlines. But it's now the job of Australia's International Air Services Commission to allocate the two slots that have been made available to Australian airlines. The Commission is responsible for overseeing all of these kinds of allocations, as well as ruling on whether airlines should be allowed to commence code-share agreements on international routes out of Australia and things like this. In doing so, it must consider what's in the interest of the travelling public and ensure there's fair and robust competition in the market. Now, when the new uh, daytime landing slots, which means between 6am and 10pm at Haneda Airport, became available, Qantas uh, had requested both of them from the International Air Services Commission. Qantas, as we know, already flies daily to Haneda, uh, and it also flies from Brisbane and Melbourne currently to Narita. Qantas had planned to use one of the new slot pairs to replace its current once-a-day 747 service between Sydney and Haneda with twice-daily flights on the route um, to operate at different times of the day. As we know, Qantas is retiring at 747s next year, and so Qantas was looking to replace that daily 747 flight with one A330 and one 787 service. Qantas wanted to use the second slot pair to switch its Melbourne to Narita route to Haneda. Now, initially, I had assumed that Qantas would pretty much just receive both of those slot pairs by default. Realistically, Virgin Australia is the only other Australian airline that could apply for the slots, and, but their only long-haul destination in Asia is currently Hong Kong, and Virgin has been losing quite a lot of money flying to Hong Kong since it started doing so in 2017. And that's despite the fact that in Hong Kong it has several partner airlines that it can feed traffic to. Given that Virgin is currently undertaking a review of unprofitable routes, I had thought that the last thing on Virgin's mind right now would be to launch flights to Japan. But it seems that Virgin Australia has other ideas. Last week, Virgin surprisingly revealed that it has been working behind the scenes for months on launching flights to Tokyo, and it even plans to launch a new code-share and frequent flyer relationship with the Japanese airline ANA. Virgin has now applied for one of the two slot pairs, saying it will launch daily A330 flights from Brisbane to Haneda in partnership with ANA. 
In a subsequent submission to the commission, Qantas claims that um, allocating one of the slots to Virgin is too risky because Qantas claims that Virgin would not be able to commence flights to Haneda by March next year, which is the deadline for commencing services. If the slots were allocated to Virgin and they were not used, Australian Airlines could lose their rights to those slots, or at least the slot that was allocated to Virgin. Virgin Australia, though, has vigorously refuted Qantas's claims, saying that they are prepared and are fully committed to starting flights to Tokyo in March 2020. Meanwhile, both Tourism Australia and the ACCC have provided submissions to the Commission publicly supporting the provision of one of the slot pairs to Virgin Australia, with Qantas obviously getting the other one. They say that a new airline flying between Australia and Japan will be good for consumers because the increased competition will place downward pressure on airfares. And certainly that's what we have seen happening in the Hong Kong market um, since uh, Virgin began flying to Hong Kong. Qantas says that Virgin could start uh, flying to Narita if they did want to enter the Japanese market, even if they didn't get the slots. But Virgin says that it's only interested in Haneda Airport because this is the main hub for its new Japanese partner ANA. At Haneda, Virgin passengers can connect to 38 domestic destinations around Japan on ANA, whereas at Narita, ANA only has connections available to five destinations in Japan. Now, to be honest, I think it's extremely unlikely that the International Air Services Commission would would award both slots to Qantas in light of all of this. It's obviously going to be beneficial to the travelling public to have more competition in the market between Australia and Japan, and Virgin is uh, going to provide this. So we'll know for sure by the end of this month, but I'm fully expecting that Virgin will get approval to start flying between Brisbane and Haneda from the 29th of March. So it's a it's an interesting um, new route for Virgin, an interesting way forward. Hopefully there'll be lots of reward seats, but um, yeah, great news for the travelling public and of course for Velocity members. So It'll be interesting to see what happens, but yeah, we'll find out by the end of the month. The other big news of the last fortnight, sadly, has been several airlines in Europe that have gone out of business. Two episodes ago, I told you that the French airline, Aigle Azur, had just suspended flights and filed for bankruptcy. Well, I'm afraid that wasn't the end of the problems for European airlines. Two weeks ago, UK travel company Thomas Cook was forced to file for insolvency, Thomas Cook being one of the world's oldest travel companies. This left around 600,000 Thomas Cook customers stranded overseas, including 150,000 British tourists. In the UK, the government actually guarantees tour package holidays with a mandatory insurance scheme, so the British government uh, became responsible for what has been called the largest peacetime repatriation of British uh, citizens in history. But that wasn't even the end of it. France's XL Airways is now on the verge of collapse as well. It already stopped selling tickets around a fortnight ago, selling financial difficulties, but bizarrely continued operating flights for several days afterwards, even though it wasn't selling tickets on those flights. It has now suspended operations. Uh, The airline says that this is a temporary suspension, but, well, these things are never temporary. This airline is pretty much at the end of its life. Adria Airways, a Star Alliance airline based in Slovenia, also suspended flights temporarily last week. And I say temporarily in inverted commas. Within just a few days, the airline also went bankrupt, and that was the end of that. Slovenia is now left without an airline, and air services to the Slovenian capital of Ljubljana are now severely limited. 
Lufthansa, Swiss and Brussels Airlines have already announced that they will commence new flights to Ljubljana in the short term to fill some of the gap and, uh, well, no doubt to shore up connections for their long-haul services after their co-chair partner Adria stopped flying to their hub airports. And, of course, who could forget Wow Air, the low-cost carrier based in Iceland that went bust in March this year. And then there was Germania, another European low-cost carrier which closed up shop in February. Now, of course, not all of the struggling airlines in the world are in Europe. India's Jet Airways was forced to suspend all flights in April this year, and the airline is no longer in business. But is it a coincidence that four European airlines have gone out of business in just the space of a few weeks? It's hard to say. Many industry analysts believe that Europe simply has too many airlines, so a consolidation in the market is inevitable. But with rising fuel prices, global financial uncertainty, and, well... Brexit, it seems a perfect storm has been created to expedite what is pretty much inevitable anyway. In the short term, things could still get worse. In the Northern Hemisphere, airlines typically struggle to make money in winter when demand is lower, and that's uh, coming up very, very soon. Um, but most airlines do make sufficient profit in the summer to recover their losses from the winter months. With winter on its way in Europe, many, many more airlines could struggle to survive the next few months as revenue is lower. As a member of the travelling public, one of the best ways to protect yourself from the collapse of airlines is to pay for your ticket with a credit card. You'll often be able to get your money back um, if the airline goes bust before you fly by initiating a credit card chargeback that way. But it's also worth checking to see whether your travel insurance covers airline bankruptcy, especially if you're travelling to Europe in the near future. Speaking of Europe, if you're thinking about travelling there next summer and you want to use your frequent flyer points to get there... Uh, you won't want to miss this fortnight's interview. Up next, I'm joined by Bronwyn Turner, who's a member of the Award Flight Assist team specialising in award travel to Europe. Europe is one of the most popular destinations for Australians using their frequent flyer points. And um, running Award Flight Assist, we've seen quite a trend that around this time of year, people are really looking to use their points to travel to Europe for the following year during the European summer. So traveling to Europe in June, July, August is, it's, I mean, it's summer in Europe, it's the peak time and it's around the school holidays as well. So it's, it's very, very popular. Now, if you are looking to use your points to travel to Europe next summer, now will be the time to do so because the seats do sell out fast and it can be quite hard to find award availability. And that's why I've brought on this episode one of our award flight assist travel consultants, Bronwyn Turner, who is also known on Australian Frequent Flyer as Briar Flyer. Welcome to the podcast, Bronwyn. Thanks, Matt. Very happy to be here. Uh, if uh, an award flight assist client wants help with redeeming points to Europe, they'll probably be put in touch with Bronwyn. Now, Bronwyn is specialising in the quite difficult task of finding award availability to Europe over the summer period. So she's the ideal person to talk about how you can actually go about finding those seats. Now, Bronwyn, I wanted to ask you firstly, when you're looking to use frequent flyer points to get to Europe, what's the best program to be using? The best program for availability and also for value I find to be Chris Flyer, and that's without question, as well as having excellent availability across the classes, are the low charges 
also are very attractive, um, the lack of carrier surcharges that we see with a lot of the other programs. And also the, the points required for the premium cabins are also excellent value, as well as the ability to find seats even at the busiest times. So those seats may not be at the saver rate, they may be the advantage awards, but which are more expensive, but still available and that is often the key point at those busy times is actually finding um, availability particularly in the busy summer months. Yeah finding award availability in uh, with any frequent flyer program to Europe especially in business or first class and for multiple people and in school holidays can be very very difficult as anyone who's ever tried to do that will know very well. With Chris Flyer it's as you say it's quite good i've found that you can actually find availability even for four people so you can take your whole family over what um tips would you give to somebody looking for award availability on singapore airlines where's where do you actually um, look for the availability I find it uh, quite easy to search for availability um, on the actual um, Singapore Airlines website. I find that quite easy to use, to search. You can, you've got the ability to search for seven days at a time. So you can look at award flights around the, um, the dates that you want rather than having to look day by day. And um, you can search quite easily for different locations. And I think that's really important to be flexible as well. I find that a lot of people um, or a lot of the, the clients coming to Award Flight Assist want to fly into London because, you know, it's popular, it's wonderful. Who doesn't want to go to London? But uh, finding avail- uh, availability into London can be quite difficult. And so um, it's important also, I think, to be flexible and to look at other European cities where which are just a short hop away way or even to other UK options such as uh, flying into Manchester for example. Yeah that's right and Singapore Airlines does fly to I think 11 or 12 destinations in Europe so as well as London you've got Manchester as you say and Frankfurt, Amsterdam, Paris, Zurich, Munich and Stockholm even, Dusseldorf. Actually there's often availability to Dusseldorf on Singapore Airlines so lots of options and also lots of um, cities out of Australia that Singapore Airlines serves. What about people, I know that a lot of um, people have a stack of Qantas points that they want to use. It is significantly harder, as as um, most people will know, to find availability using Qantas and One World Airlines to get from Australia to Europe. So if someone has Qantas points, where should they be looking to redeem points to get to Europe? This is particularly difficult if you don't have Qantas status. So those with uh, gold and platinum status and above can usually find the flights to get out of Australia and back into Australia, and they're the most difficult legs. Um, I think finding availability from uh, various Asian ports can be um not as challenging. In fact, uh, I found even over the busiest months that there's usually can find some availability out of Singapore, out of uh, Denpasar, out of Jakarta, out of uh, Bangkok or Kuala Lumpur. So if you can position yourself, um, even if um, the award flights aren't there on Qantas to get to those intermediate ports, if you can perhaps buy a cheap cash flight or somehow position yourself in one of those cities using, yeah, as I said, cash or perhaps um, another award points with another program um, and then pick up the availability with uh, Qatar with Finnair or Cathay Pacific or various other airlines out of um, Asian ports. And if you really, really want to use your points to get all the way to Europe, are there any particular routes that people should be looking at? And I'm talking specifically here about um, business class award availability. 
um, that actually do tend to have availability between Australia and Europe. One that I've found to be particularly useful is via Narita, Tokyo, uh, the Japan Airlines, which also has a wonderful business product, which as a byproduct, so it's no hardship to uh, fly JAL. And out of Melbourne in particular and into Melbourne, there is often good availability. You may not connect well in Japan and you may be forced to have a stopover or an overnight. And once again, not a hardship because it is so a wonderful place so that's one to have a look at and um, from Japan then you have the option to um, fly to various locations and with uh, Japan Airlines with Finnair again with British Airlines which often has very good availability and also can can get all the way to London from Narita and there are some other Japanese cities as well that sometimes you can get availability to um, Osaka and another option out of Narita that I didn't mention before is with Iberia into Madrid and that's um, often has excellent availability in business class as well so that's another one to look at. Yeah and that's only one stop as well Melbourne, Narita, Madrid and if you just search on the Qantas website from Melbourne to Madrid it's probably not going to come up so you actually have to know that it exists and kind of use the multi-city tool to kind of force that routing out uh, and you, as, as you see you'll probably have an overnight stop in Tokyo but that's that's all right nothing wrong with Tokyo. I was just going to um, interrupt there to say and nothing wrong with landing in Madrid either that's a fabulous city to be forced to have a little stopover in. Yeah, exactly. And a hub for Iberia. So from there, of course, you can get um, to pretty much anywhere else in Europe that you actually want to go to. Another one I found out of Melbourne is Sri Lankan Airlines will often have one business class seat to Colombo. And then from there, you can connect onwards. Sri Lankan does fly to London, although there's a long stop in Colombo, about 12 hours if you connect straight through on Sri Lankan. Um, Otherwise, you can connect to Qatar Airways to Doha and then on to Europe or you can even fly on Sri Lankan Airlines from Melbourne to Chennai via Colombo and then from Chennai to London Heathrow in with British Airways. And they often, again, will, there'll be one business class seat available with pretty good connections, surprisingly good connections with that um, itinerary. So there's a few other options there, although that's usually only one seat. So if there's more than one of you, uh, tough luck. If you're starting in Perth, another option where there is um, usually very good availability is from Perth to uh, Kuala Lumpur with Malaysia. And from there, you can pick up either British Airways to London or also Qatar to a number of different European cities. They have a really good network in Europe. And so there are um, a lot of different cities. And you really, you may need to search lots of different cities to find somewhere with availability, but it's definitely worth the search because once again, I wonder business class product. Yeah, and once you get to Kuala Lumpur, you've also got uh, Royal Jordanian. They fly to um, yeah Bangkok and Hong Kong as well as Kuala Lumpur uh, to Amman, Jordan. And then from Jordan, they fly to, I think it's about 18 different destinations in Europe. So, And they pretty much always have two business class seats on that flight. Um, yeah, it runs from Bangkok to Amman, but it originates, three I think, three days a week in KL and four days a week in Hong Kong or something like this. So um, yeah, often availability there as well. And Bronwyn, I know that a lot of people specifically would like to be able to redeem their Qantas points to fly on Qatar Airways or Emirates uh, out of Australia through to Europe via Doha or Dubai. Do you have any tips for people looking for those flights? I do. Um, 
Qatar is particularly popular and very hard to get for that reason. And particularly over the last 12 months, we've noticed it's become increasingly popular and more difficult to get. And at the moment, the best chances of finding business class availability are out of Adelaide or Perth, particularly Adelaide. But even they are becoming more difficult to get. So you need to really be looking at the release date to be sure to get, or not even to be sure, but to have the best shot at getting um, business class seats on Qatar out of Australia. And uh, Qatar flies to out of several Australian cities. You've got Canberra, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide and Perth. Does Qatar release seats out of all of those cities or only a few? Over the busy months, we've found it very difficult to see that they are releasing seats out of uh, Sydney and Melbourne, or it could just be that they are being snapped up very quickly by the people who are seeing them right at release time. Out of Perth, we sometimes see actually first-class availability, so um, on Qatar first-class to Doha, and then you can sometimes go on from Doha to Frankfurt also in first-class, so that's one to watch out for as well. And what about Emirates out of Australia? Emirates was particularly difficult uh, as recently as a few weeks back or finding, uh, seeing very little Emirates business class availability out of Australia. More recently, um, even just in the last week, I've started to see availability out of Melbourne, out of Brisbane and out of Auckland in New Zealand uh, to Dubai and then on to uh, the large network of cities in Europe. So that's definitely one to look out for now that we're seeing more availability. And we're looking now at dates into um, August with Emirates. So Bronwyn, you mentioned that people are often booking these award tickets as soon as they're released by the airline. Um, So obviously to do that, you'd need to know exactly when the airline is releasing the seats to inventory. So for airlines like Qatar Airways, when do these uh, award seats actually become available? We're looking at about 360 days uh, before the flight. So, um, but this does vary from airline to airline and not all airlines release absolutely religiously on that date as well. So there is an article on Frequent Flyer Solutions about the release dates and times of the various airlines and Matt will put a link to that in the episode notes. And so Qatar is releasing those seats, you said, 360 days in advance of departure. Of course, the exact time varies by airline. Some of them, it's actually closer to 330 days or in the case of one airline I'm aware of, even 290 days or something like that. But uh, what time exactly, if people really, really want to get, a, you know, one of those Q-suite flights out of Adelaide on Qatar Airways, uh, what time should they be going on the website 360 days beforehand to be able to book those as soon as they are released? It's 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, so that will be 11 a.m. now with the Daylight Saving Time. Oh, that's great. And Bronwyn, you were telling me um, just before the interview that you recently travelled to Christchurch. Do you want to tell listeners about how you got to Christchurch? Yes, how else do you get to Christchurch but uh, Emirates First Class? It's uh, (laughs) a real indulgence, but I think it's worth um, mentioning because it's a way that... um, I think is within the reach of a lot more flyers and probably realise that they can actually take an Emirates first class flight. Um, it's a short distance, but it's a lovely way to do that distance. It's um, 62,200 Qantas points now with the new since the change. And I think it's um, definitely worthwhile way of travelling once. And so if you can't afford or don't feel you will ever have the points to do a, a longer haul uh, flight in first class, that's one to aspire to and perhaps save you Qantas points up for. So that flight's out of Sydney, right? Sydney to Christchurch? 
Yes, Sydney to Christchurch, I should have mentioned, and it is a morning flight out of Sydney, so I think it leaves at um, something after 8am, and coming back, it is an evening flight, so you get a fabulous dinner service on the flight coming back into Sydney. And I guess one of the other benefits of flying Emirates First Class, or, or Qantas for that matter, would be access to the First Class Lounge, the Qantas First Class Lounge in Sydney. Definitely, and you can have a have a fabulous breakfast before you even get on the flight in Sydney. So that's absol- absolutely worth getting to the airport a little bit early for. I have to ask, because it was an A380 flight, did you try the shower? <laughs> I didn't. I was too busy enjoying everything else being such a short flight. But I did fly Emirates First Class um, to Europe um, a couple of years back and definitely used the shower then on both legs. So... Didn't feel I needed to use it again. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, uh, Bronwyn, to, to wrap up the interview and so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better, I want to ask you a few quick questions. And they'll be the same questions I asked to the other award flight assist consultants and the, and the AFF moderators that have come on to the podcast. And the first question is, what's your favourite airline? Qatar. Qatar Business Class is by far my favourite way to fly and I think it's consistently excellent across a number of aircraft. So from the Q-suites that are very aspirational at the moment, the A380 with the bar and that's that's lovely as well and the A350 and even the uh, 77, uh, everything, all the, every business class I've flown on, Qatar's been fabulous. And do you have a favourite frequent flyer program? Mightn't be a surprise, given my earlier answer, but it is Chris Flyer. Enough said, I think. <laughs> and do you have a favourite destination to travel to, Ronwyn? I'm a bit of an Anglophile, so anything in Britain um, is actually wonderful for me. Um, I never tire of London. And do you have a favourite credit card? Um, my favourite card at the moment is my Amex Platinum Charge. It's an expensive card, but I really like all the perks that come with the hotel status, with the rental car status. I would not be able to um, achieve that status because I don't travel nearly enough otherwise. It's interesting. Leon, who was on the podcast two episodes ago, also was praising the uh, Amex Platinum Charge card. I think it, it is, an, as you say, it's expensive, but it does have some pretty substantial benefits and also um, um, some good uh, frequent flyer earning opportunities. Um, and finally, Bronwyn, do you have a really good tip for travellers, um, maybe one to do with using points? Okay, my number one tip is to be flexible in all ways. Um, when planning, booking, travelling, looking at your dates, um, I think a problem that a lot of people find is finding availability. And so why do we all have to travel in the peak of summer? Perhaps it would be better to travel at a less popular time and avoid the crowds and also get better availability. So flexibility in that way and also flexibility if you can diversify your points into more than one program. So that you're not just looking for availability with one particular alliance. Mm, And using uh, flexible credit card currency like American Express membership rewards points or NAB rewards, ANZ rewards, altitude points is a really good way of doing that rather than just collecting Qantas points and then being disappointed when there's no availability on the flight you want. And I often say when you're redeeming points, it works a little bit differently to paying for flights in the sense that you don't book your flights based around what you want to do for your trip, but you kind of have to plan your trip around what flights are available on points. So you kind of have to work the other way around. Well, Bronwyn, thanks a lot for your insights and for coming on the AFF On Air podcast. Thanks, Matt. It was a pleasure to be here. 
I hope you enjoyed that interview with Bronwyn and apologies for the technical difficulties we had with the sound quality in the middle of it. That's it for another episode of AFF On Air. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about anything in today's episode, check out the episode notes where there's lots of links. uh, And there you'll also find a link to an AFF thread where you can discuss anything to do with the podcast or ask me a question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a comment or a rating in Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. That way you will be the first to know when a new episode is released. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips, and tricks for Australian travellers. Until then, happy flying!